What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. And this, unfortunately, is our second time ever having to re-record a podcast episode. Wah, wah. Yep. You know, we had the long-loss acne episode. Mm-hmm. From back in 2018. Did you ever see that long-loss SpongeBob episode? I don't think before so. Before your time? Well, there was one. They did a whole thing about like the long lost episode. Mm-hmm. So that's what I always imagine our acne one as being. So we just had the one, but now mm-hmm. there's two. Now there's two. Yeah. So um, I thought I was, you know, real fancy with these multiple camera angles and stuff going. I'm very proud of that. Unfortunately, I had taken them all. I had unhooked everything. So we were getting something done with our floors and whatnot. But uh, when I put them all back, I didn't test it properly. And so whenever the camera would switch to me, it would just be like this. Whoa. Like you could, the entire podcast is like yeah, you could really five or ten minute like holes in it. it there was some missing content. For you, sure. you could really only hear me and AJ talk, which is Basically. what's most important. I think that I will give you that. That is true. But, However, uh, I add to the continuity of the of the episode. It's mainly the the, so you're the long want, pauses that we would. Have it was very these. long pauses. We would have lost most of you. So <laughs> here we are. We're talking about this again. Yeah. So uh, what's hilarious is we're probably still going to make as many mistakes as we did in the first episode. It hasn't gotten any because it was what. A couple weeks ago that we tried to record this so mm-hmm. i've already like uh, to look everything back up again. i had to re- redo whatever prep i did before <laughs> <Google>. <laughs> the previous episode i know so what are we talking about yeah so we're doing h pylori again um well not again for y'all but again for us <laughs> again for us well we have actually done it a long time ago in the past but there is um, an updated medication a new combo that came out uh with kind of a relatively new acid suppressing um uh, class, which uh, I'll leave you there. We'll leave it on a cliffhanger till the end. We'll talk more about that. Mm. Uh, before that, we're going to get into um, a little more detail about H. pylori. Uh, we're going to uh, update you guys on um, some diagnostic things, uh, the treatment algorithms, which had kind of changed the last time we talked about it as well. And then we'll kind of hit that new drug uh, too. So what is H. pylori? H. pylori, it's a spiral-shaped gram-negative bacterium. So basically what it does is it, it uses bacterial uh, ureas and that hydro, uh, hydrolyzes the gastric luminal urea and then converts it to ammonia. So this is basically going to provide like this alkalized protective cloud around the organism. Um, and that's what actually enables it to survive in the, in the gastric uh, environment of the, the stomach. Um, so catalase is another enzyme that is, that is utilized by the bacteria, um, that block, uh, that helps to block reactive ox- um, oxidation from the phagocytes and, and cause inflammation that damages that gastric epithelial lining. And that's what can eventually lead to the formation of ulcers, um, H. pylori being one of the causes of peptic ulcer disease. Uh, and it's one of those that uh, is very, very painful in some cases, depending on how you know bad it is and how uh, extensive the infection is. And um, definitely something that uh, we want to get treated and also heal up the ulcers as well. So when we get into the treatments, you'll see that uh, the utilizing certain agents to actually heal that um, that gastric epithelial lining is is an important concept. Um, as far as like the actual diagnostic, just, you know, if a patient comes in, they're having severe heartburn, what have you, um, and we're trying to figure out if this could be, you know, the actual uh, NH pylori infection or something else that's causing it. Um, there's a few different diagnostic tools that we can use. Um, so we can actually do uh, an endoscopic um, rapid urease test is one option. It's a little bit more invasive. Um, there's also the urea breath test, um, which is where the patient would ingest a radio labeled urea. So uh, they radio labeled carbon 13 or carbon 14 isotopes. 
Um, and then this basically leads to radio label bicarb byproduct um, that is excreted in the breath of the patient. And so you can kind of pick, if you pick that up, that's indicative of the bacterial infection or H. pylori infection in the gut because that's what's giving off that conversion. Um, the caveats to this, it, it is, you know, a very good test. The caveat is you have to make sure that the patient is, uh, has held their PPI dose for one to two weeks um, before the test because otherwise you can get a false negative. Um, obviously, a positive test is, you know, definitive, but you can get a false negative, which can obviously, um, like, delay therapy and, and whatnot. Uh, there's also the stool antigen test, mm -hmm. um, which is just what it sounds a stool sample. Um, not as uh, fun for the patient, but uh, well, this is actually the one that we use in our clinic. I don't know. I, I'm imagining having to dr whatever the, uh, the drink I have to drink tastes like. I imagine it can't taste very good. There's no drink. We put together like a kit for you to, to go home with, and it's like a little tube no i'm like talking collection. about i'm talking about the antigen oh, oh, test versus the urea, the urea breath test gotcha probably have to drink something kind of i thought gross. you were talking about like a bowel prep or something for no fortunately band. but yeah. no yeah even that so the kit i'd imagine is easy enough right is, is it a tube but, but you have to like you know you to, collect your fecal matter and then bring it back and present it back to the clinic i feel like that would be awkward people do it obviously we need yeah. it done but um i just i don't know be like hey here you go Drop this off for you. Mm. I don't know. I'm also a 13 year old sense of humor, so that's fine. Um, I don't know. I've never used one of these before, so I guess I'm wondering like, do they have a catch mechanism? Mm. You know what I'm saying? No. Surely <laughs> they do. Latex gloves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They give Inside you... of the toilet? You got to catch and throw, man. I don't know what that means. Well, <laughs> I'll explain to you when you're older. <laughs> um, <laughs> with the stool antigen test, um, already off topic. This is why we have to redo episodes. Um, with the stool antigen test, you do also have to hold the PPI um, for one to two weeks before the test, again, to avoid that chance of a false negative. Um, there is historically uh, um, serotologic testing that you can get. However, this is not really recommended anymore um, because the problem with you know, the blood test is it's hard to tell between an active and past infection. So if you get a, a negative result, obviously that can kind of you know, help in that situation. But if it's positive, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily an acute infection that needs to be treated. It could have just been an infection that's already been treated and we're still getting the... Um, the serologic, you know, positive testing. Right. So that's one is uh, definitely not um, ideal to use, and we would try to stay away from that if at all possible. Um, but yeah, stool antigen test, urea breath test. I feel, at least in my anecdotal experience, those would be the two that um, are most commonly used yeah. in like a outside clinic. And I think the antigen test is a little more expensive, um, but yeah, those are both there. Um, interestingly, H. pylori, Helicobacter pylori, is kind of tough to treat, and they run into uh, a lot of issues. So that's where the false positives after treatment would really throw a wrench in your plan because it's pretty common to have, not pretty common, but reasonably common to have treatment failure and have to treat again um, or use uh, some sort of salvage therapy. Um, so if you're getting false positives and not sure if you need to retreat uh, or not, that can be very difficult. Um, the mainstay of treatment previous to an update in the, the guidelines a couple years ago um, was a clarithromycin-based triple therapy. Um, that's not necessarily uh, recommended first line all the time anymore, um, only in certain cases uh, it might be. Reason being, the resistance rates for clarithromycin um, have increased significantly. 
Um, so effectively, they don't recommend that first line anywhere where clarithromycin resistance rates are greater than 15%. Um, if you uh, were listening to the writers of the update article on H. pylori treatment, they would say that they presume anywhere in the U.S. the resistance rates are greater than 15%. Um, therefore, they don't recommend um, uh, this therapy as first-line therapy. So um, that's why it, it, the leaning has been more towards the bismuth quadruple therapy is what it's called. Uh, it's made up of four different medications, um, bismuth subcitrate that you would take four times a day, tetracycline 500 milligrams four times a day, uh, metronidazole four times a day. Those three come in a pack called um, Pylera. It's the Pylera combo pack. Um, you would add that to a PPI, a proton pump inhibitor that you're taking twice a day for 10 days. Um, you want to take the combo after meals and at bedtime, um, and it comes as a uh, as um, dose packs with three tablets each that you would take four times a day, right? Yep. And what, what's interesting is uh, so there's actually a pretty decent uh, review article kind of going through all the different antibiotics that are utilized for treating H. pylori and, and how H. pylori has become resistant to those specific antibiotics. And so like, for example, with clorithromycin, you know, the, the way that the macrolide um, has its bacteriostatic activity is because it, it combined that 50S ribosomal subunit and it inhibits protein synthesis. Well, the H. pylori just has these point mutations that basically change. And now the antibiotic is no longer binding appropriately with that that ribosomal subunit and yep. it's no longer able to do its thing. And there's more and more and more um, of those point mutations that are being discovered and uh, definitely something that um, we're not slowing down necessarily with the uh, resistance rates, with especially with clothromycin, but others as well. Right. They, they go through metronidazole, they go through levofloxacin. So um, I'll see, uh, I think this is a free article too, so I'll, I'll grab this and uh, post it in the show notes if you guys are want to nerd out on some medicinal chemistry. Interestingly, with metronidazole, the resistance rates are very high. Um, and, uh, we but, still use it. But it's, we still use it because, strangely, it hasn't been associated with treatment failure like clarithromycin has. And they have some reasons for that. Um, but it, it, the resistance rates are actually high. They just still use it because it still seems to work with the combo. Yeah. yeah. Did you mention the, the pylora and the uh, PPI being added to it? Yes. I was looking at the resistance thing, so I stopped paying attention for a minute. Yes, I did. Now I get distracted. <laughs> but uh, um, I will say, too, the, the cost of Pylera tends to be something that gets brought up. Um, there are definitely programs, though, that you can get you know, access to Pylera very cheap. Like, for example, FQHCs that have 340B pricing. Um, my clinic, for example, has um, has Pylera. I believe it's like 10 bucks, 15 bucks for the pack, and then we just add a PPI to it. It's pretty good. Pretty solid. So historically, what you'd have that's to do cash. if that's you don't insurance. have that, um, if it, like if I was in a, a retail pharmacy, got sent that, and it was not covered, and it was however many thousand dollars or so there's the option to split the um it into the separate components which can still be pricey since you're taking so many tablets and four different medications um but yes ideal if you can get some sort of discount pricing or uh, other program to assist with covering it if the insurance doesn't but you know um i guess the the issue you might run into with insurance is that they're like just give them the four different drugs versus the pack but you know some insurances will definitely pay for the whole pack and and I believe you can. They at least the I think it's an up to date. The authors do say that it's okay to sub out um, doxy for tetra yeah. cycling because you know that would be hard to find just plain tetracycline as well. Yes. I believe. And also the bismuth substrate for uh, salicylate, right? That's yeah. the um, I think the other way around. But yeah. Yes. 
Um, but yeah, so that's the Pilaris, at least in my, you know, kind of thought is that it's the one I tend to use first line, um, just because like Cole said, the clothromycin rate, unless you know for a definitive fact that it's less than 15%, um, it's not something to even mess with because you probably, um, you know, well, or I shouldn't say probably, but you have a good chance of running into that. Right. Unless maybe you use this new med that we're going to talk about. Nah, yes. another cliffhanger. I'll yes. do that. We're not there yet, though. Okay. Sorry. Getting, getting excited. Getting too excited. But I, I will say, though, speaking of clarithromycin, this is a good opportunity to kind of bring up um, our sponsor of the podcast, Pearls. Uh, if you haven't checked out the app yet, definitely make sure you go to pearls.com slash coreconsultrx, and that's Pearls, P-Y-R-L-S. Um, they're a drug information app, and for example, if you look up clarithromycin, you can look up the, the tab that says Clinical Pearls, and it has antimicrobial spectrum of activity. So it talks about the H flu and MCAT and some of the other gram-negative bacteria, the uh, atypicals that it covers, whatnot. Um, it also mentions the pore activity. It has uh, monitoring parameters, and, and it's not as, as uh, you have the more in-depth version of it as well, but this is like the quick bullet points that are like the important things to kind of pay attention to. So I like the way that they kind of have it separated out. So you can get the full robust amount of information if you really want to dive deeper. Um, but this has just some of the, the highlights, the clinical pearls, if you will. So it talks about the uh, renal and liver disease and potential needing you know, dose adjustments there. QT prolongation, if, if the patient is also on other medications, they could prolong the QT interval um, or if they've had a history of you know, rhythmias or low magnesium or something like that. Um, but definitely a good little uh, resource. So there's a free version that you can still get access to some really good stuff. So make sure you check that out. Um, they've been really awesome about supporting the podcast. So um, check their, uh, the app out. And you know if you, you like it, definitely... Uh, Upgrade to that pro version. Upgrade. All right. Anyways, you like that? That was my sales pitch. That was great. No, thanks, man. I like, per, I like pros of the day. I've heard better, but it was pretty good. AJ, God, you know what? Just mute his mic. They, yeah, AJ, mute your own mic. <laughs> he's, he's got control of the mic. He's, he's going to mute, mute, mute me, and I'm going to have to do this a third time. Um, so, yeah, so uh, we mentioned the clothromycin option, the um, option that has metronidazole and tetracycline. There's also um, a more of a salvage option um, that's driven by rifibutin. Uh, it's a rifibutin plus amoxicillin plus omeprazole. It actually comes branded as Telesia, uh, but um, that's a triple therapy. Uh, rifibutin is, uh, of course, a rifamycin anti-tubercular agent. Uh, it inhibits DNA-dependent RNA polymerase. Uh, acts at the beta subunit and prevents chain initiation. Are some issues to be aware of with it if you need to use it. Um, skin rash, uh, urine discoloration from the rifibutin. We're familiar with that. I can't recall what color. Red? I think red. Yeah, I think red. It's always red or orange. Mm. Except for uh, which one's blue? The um, the Eurobell? Yeah, yeah, Or yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Euro it's MP. Put the methylene blue in or something. Yeah. yeah. Orange, anyway. red, and blue. Mm-hmm. And, and everything turn it green? Probably. Oh, yeah. Isn't propofol turn your urine green? Does it? I think so. AJ, Google that for me. I want it. I haven't done inpatient in a long time. What about black? Can't. Okay. We're going to go through all the rainbow. Oh, my gosh. Um, can't. Sorry, uh, can't. Um, Rhabdo myelitis. Rhabdo. Can you <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah get dark, right? Yeah. You know, black. I don't know if that's a medication necessarily as it is a. It's red, well. It's reddish orange. What is reddish orange? Rhabdo. Oh. Reddish orange? I had rhabdo. It's, well, that just combines red and orange. Of course you had rhabdo. Did you go for a walk and you got a little sore? Got up out of bed. I figured. I had a technician who got who had rhabdo after like a really hard workout. She like mm -hmm. it was the next couple of days she was just having a lot of muscle pains or whatever. They went in and she had rhabdo. I remember this guy at a CrossFit gym one time. He was talking. Somebody mentioned her. He goes, Psh, "Rhabdo's a myth, dude." And he was dead serious. 
Just not like, real? I said, oh, Psychosomatic. I, I don't think it is. But okay, yeah, 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 probably. I don't think you can fake the protein spilling thing. Right? It's hard. It's pretty difficult. <laughs> it is pretty hard. There's a lot of willpower there. Um, Anyways. Yeah, urine discoloration. Also, and we're talking about Talicia, the rifibutin combo, um, if you recall. Neutropenia it can cause, leukopenia, GI upset, so just some things to be aware of. Um, the good thing about it is that H. pylori is highly sensitive to rifibutin with minimal resistance, which is why it's primarily safe for salvage is to keep it that way and not um, cause uh, resistance to rifibutin. Yes, absolutely. That's the last thing we need. Um, we also have some other potential options. So um, we, I won't go through all these, but for example, we have like levofloxacin triple therapy, which is a 10 to 14 day regimen. And this is one that's, they don't have like a prepackaged um, option, but you can kind of just put things, you know, the meds together. So that would be a PPI twice daily, um, levofloxacin 500 milligrams daily, and then amoxicillin one gram twice daily. For 10 to 14 days, um, that would be levofloxacin-based triple therapy. Um, there's also a, a levofloxacin sequential therapy, mm-hmm. which is where you do the PPI for the full 10 days, um, amoxicillin one gram twice daily for the full 10 days, and then all of a sudden on days six through 10, you just come in out of nowhere with levofloxacin, and also its counterpart metronidazole. And you just surprise them those last just five when days. when they're least expecting it. Just when they're least expecting it. Trojan horse those right in, <laughs> and you take care of the H. pylori. So they call that levofluxin sequential, and that's uh, another potential option. Um, there's several others. There's several. Know, yeah. There's like, um, so hybrid. that was, there's hybrid, which is like a PPI uh, days one through 14, amoxicillin days one through 14. And then you Trojan horse in the metronidazole again. It's a good Trojan horse on day seven to 14. You author also hit him with chlorithromycin day seven to 14. I like that. You're like, let's take the two most resistant things and, and just we'll, hit, it we'll at the hit end. them at the end after, no. the, after you've weakened your opponent. It's a good strategy. I don't really get that. Um, but there, there's various ones. There's also a sequential therapy that is similar, but it's more like do the amoxicillin for a few days and then switch to the metronidazole clorithromycin. Um, they've got a, they've got a number of, of options, but it seems like the bismuth quadruple is the easiest. And then what you would go with some of these in a salvage situation. Yeah, I tend to think quad first, and then from there, just patient-specific, you know. Yeah. If, if we can use Levo, maybe, you know, but if they're uncontrolled diabetes and I want to stay away from fluoroquinolones, maybe I'll try, like, one of the sequential or, you know, Talesia is in my back pocket. And then now, of course, we have our, our newer agents. Um and, you know, the reason why this has been kind of explored, and I shouldn't even say newer because uh, it's been, the one drug's been available in Asia, I believe, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the reason this has been explored is because, like we said, you know, the PPI is kind of like just as important as the actual uh, antibiotic that's eradicating the, the bacteria because the, H- or the uh, PPI, rather, is what's there to help, you know, heal that um, endothelial lining of the gastric mucosa and, and fix that ulcer um and you know we we know that ppis have historically been kind of like the first line therapy for any type of you know NSAID induced ulcer or any kind of gastric ulcer um you know and they work really well for that the problem is is to really like optimize the efficacy of a ppi you have to ideally take it 30 minutes to an hour before a meal so you take it in an empty stomach because if it's brought into an acidic environment, then it gets disrupted and broken down um, before it can ever even get absorbed. And then, so you take it on an empty stomach, it gets, the small intestine gets absorbed, and then those those actual ATP um, ACE pumps have to be, those proton pumps have to be 
turned on, which they, which happens whenever you person eats a meal and they need to start pumping out that acid. Um, and they, so they need to be in their quote unquote on configuration in order to truly bind properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with the exception of Dexalon, that's the one Dexalon Soprazole is the one, um, exception to that rule that can bind to off and on um, receptors pretty easily. Um, but we have to kind of encourage patients to take something twice a day that has to be timed with meals to really optimize it. It's not like they won't work at all, but right. to optimize those, that can be somewhat difficult. And if the gastric mucosal lining is not being healed properly, then we may run the risk of um, also not getting clearance, you know, clearance of the, the infection itself from the antibiotics. Right. So. And then the peptidic ulcer disease is going to con- yeah, continue. Still and, there. Yes. Um, so. That brings us to the new drug, right? Yeah. So what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about that? It's a good question. So there's a a new uh, drug uh, combined with a couple other medications in a new combo. Um, There's there's two branded as the Vokesna Triple Pack and the Vokesna Dual Pack. Um, The Vokesna Triple Pack is a new drug called Venoprazan plus amoxicillin plus clorithromycin. And the Dual Pack... It's just venoprazan plus amoxicillin. Oh, and ask yourself real quick, did they spell pack really, really cool? Where they left the C out and was like P-A-K. P-A-K. Of course they did. Like, that. like. It, that's um, the, that wasn't that like the Nintendo 64's thing? It's like the rumble pack. Like just made, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they always were spelling it like that. Yeah, like the power pack, P-A-K. Because yeah, I remember my uncle when I was like, I'm like, I, I was probably fourth grade. My uncle was like, yeah, that's spelled wrong. That's dumb. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Just well, try to play Nintendo. You know who in the um, H. pylori space goes against that? Ooh, tell me. Prev Pack. Prev Pack. With a C. Hey, well, guess what? They're the ones that everyone's resistant to, so. I know. Sorry about it. Yeah, since I'm mentioning it, that was that's the one that you're probably historically have seen. Prev Pack is branded as, uh, or it's branded as Prev Pack, and it's Lansoprazole, Amoxicillin, Clothromycin, the Clothromycin triple therapy you spell it right you get resisted i guess what happens that's what happens um so yeah so this is the vacasna dual and triple pack pak trademark tm it says <laughs> um uh so as you might have picked up the venaprazan is the acid suppressing medicine and it's not a ppi it's not an h2 blocker um it's a first in class medicine from the fda like mike said it's been around in asia for a little while and the class has been around since the 80s um, but there was just too many side effects and adverse events from the kind of original medications that were studied that they were never never approved by any um, significant accrediting body um, so what it is is a potassium competitive acid blocker so that's the first in class uh, new class um, it's, it's going to end up doing a similar thing to the PPI. It's going to, uh, inhibit the, um, hydrogen potassium ATPase, um, to block acid, uh, from being produced. Uh, but it's going to generally act faster. And that's the kind of one of the significant things. Um, I believe it can be without regard to meals, Correct. Yeah, yes. which is a big difference. You don't have to worry about when the person's eating. Um, they did, uh, compare it to, so because specifically they compared it to, um, I believe the Lansoprazole, Lansoprazole. yeah, the Lansoprazole driven, um, triple therapy and had it, uh, was superior to that in a phase three trial, um, as far as eradication rates, though I don't believe it's, um, uh, been compared to a quadruple therapy that I'm aware of. So. Um, and the, so for instance, the, in that particular instance, um, the, the study itself was called Falcon HP and it's spelled P H A L C O N hyphen HP Falcon. They're all about spelling stuff. Cool. Um, but, uh, Falcon. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to go to that conference. 
you're, we're going. So no, 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 we're going. So the uh, in that particular study, so and it's you can check that online. It's it's published and available. But um, the H. pylori eradication rate was eighty four point seven percent, and the triple pack, um, you know, the new medication combo versus seventy eight point five percent with the lansoprazole, uh, or excuse me, seventy eight point eight percent in the lansoprazole based triple combo. So not a huge difference, but it was statistically significant and uh, definitely, um, and that was across the the board as far as any type of clotomycin, whether it be resistant or susceptible. Right. So you got better better eradication. So which was good. Almost resistant a, rates. Almost a bummer that they combined it with clotomycin because it's like, what are you doing? If we're gonna do a new drug combo, why do this? That's like not been recommended in a couple of years. Uh, but they did, but yeah, it, they're showing off. it might improve if you want to use the clorithromycin triple therapy, it might improve rates. Interesting to mention that um, <clears throat> a lot of the studies for vanaprazan itself were conducted in Asia and patients of Asian descent um, tend to have higher rates of CYP2C19 um, extensive metabolizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is some thought that it's possible that the elimination of the um, bonaprazan um, is... Uh, independent of the 2C19, whereas PPIs are not, and this might have explained a stronger effect from Sinaprazan versus PPIs. Sneaky, sneaky. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Yeah. That makes complete sense, though. Yeah. I feel like that's a lot, of, a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen a price. Have you? No. I've been, I was looking to, to see if there's any updates. I haven't seen a... Uh, last, when we AWP. recorded first, there was not a price. I'm looking, yeah, I'm just, I just look now as we're recording this minute. Oh, and I'm still not seeing a price. No prices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what I'm concerned about too, is, is I'm wondering yeah. how much more the... And if it's not in the guidelines, uh, doubt insurances are going to pick it up. Yeah. So but at least we are, you know, getting new options it's just for addition- something yeah. that we haven't had anything really that cool in a it's while. It's just an additional option to try to throw it at the added if you want to keep them on clorithromycin, I'd say. And, and where I'm excited to see where this goes is to see how this gets implemented into like managing, you know, ulcer, like GI ulcers in general, right. whether it be NSAID induced or what have you. Because I think this could be, and we, I mean, really besides PPIs, we don't really have a great option. You know, we have sucralfate which is garbage and mm-hmm. um you know we have like misoprostol yeah, that's true i didn't really think about it for other indications yeah so that's what i'm excited so hopefully this will be another yeah like finally another class of meds that we can use for ulcer treatment i mean it sounds like it acts as fast as an h2 maybe faster maybe faster but then lasts longer it might like be a more PPI. like a ppi and so yeah i mean i guess i'm interested to see if it has the same long-term concerns as a ppi you know like the all the we won't go into them all but all the plethora of long-term adverse effects that people are concerned about with long-term ppi use i'm interested to see if my guess is it would because it, those are all, is it all related to acid, acid suppression? suppression yeah so I, my guess is it would but but they're not with h2s is it just because they don't last as long they just don't suppress as well don't suppress as well yeah because these are going to end up acting on the same mechanism mm-hmm. yeah so interesting we'll see yeah um Important to note that um, you do want to confirm afterwards that the H. pylori has been eradicated. So similar tests that you're going to use to diagnose, you can use to confirm the eradication. Urea breath test, fecal antigen test. Um, An upper endoscopy can be performed four weeks or more after completion of the antibiotic therapy. Definitely wouldn't be standard standard of care there, um, but maybe if you were concerned about certain things. So I've known individuals who um, uh, were having, uh, you know, uh, dyspepsia and other concerns and maybe they had a history of um, stomach cancer in their family or something like that and so they did an endoscopy to check things out make sure that they didn't have um, 
uh, esophageal, um, what's the word? Not cancer, but like the, um, just erosion. Oh, oh, like Barrett's esophagus. Like Barrett's esophagus type thing. Yeah. Or even in the duodenum, um, just to check it out. And then maybe they find H. pylori at that same time, treat it. And so maybe they'd want to do a repeat in that instance, but, um, that's not my area of expertise. So I won't. Well, and the other thing to, uh, my, I'm wondering too, like, is the, you know, if you have a patient on a PPI to heal that gastric ulcer, I mean, uh, I mean, you still would have to wean them off the PPI as opposed to just abruptly stopping it because you're still going to have that acid suppression, which could give really bad rebound. Yeah. So it's only the two weeks and yeah, you still yeah. would need to, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, not as, it would be obviously a lot easier than yeah. being on it long term, but I would imagine that you'd still, right. If, if you stop it abruptly, there still could be a little bit of residual rebound because Pepsi. People don't use, it's not usually a, a standard screen. H. pylori is not really a, a standard screen. Usually there are some symptoms or some family history or some other comorbidity that's going to prompt you to test for it from a certain like geographical location, a certain too. geographical location. So like dyspepsia is probably a really common reason to come in for it so uh yeah if you discontinue the ppi immediately and then they, this pepsi immediately comes back then it's gonna they, they're gonna come in and then they're gonna have to test for treatment failure and all this kind of stuff it's good yeah yeah that's the problem we run into all the time is when we're down testing people for this is they've been on ppis over the counter for who knows how long yeah and so it's like we have to try to wean them off yeah. or even prescribed in many instances yeah. maybe even twice a day they mm-hmm. prescribed it before they yeah it seems like they should be a little to me especially with how prevalent we mentioned in the first episode but i can't recall the stats i gave some good stats then the, the lost episode <laughs> They're lost um, but the prevalence right. of h pylori is extremely high and it's spread uh frequently to your family members it's it's spread like your spouse is more than likely if you are um colonized they're probably going to be colonized as well so it's it's all over the place it's just that we only treat certain patients there's no recommendation to 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 test and treat everybody Um, if you find it the general recommendation is to go ahead and treat it but it's just not a recommendation to find it in everybody Um, so yeah it's all over the place 26 billion people a year in fact (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like more than the amount of people alive Uh, maybe that's not super accurate you're counting like dead people too i'd like to have both of you kind of like is that wait (laughs) that seems like more that's about like when i said uh the um spanish flu spanish flu killed Killed. like 100 million people and yeah, you said not. I can't remember what you said, but it was a lot. It was more than they killed. Maybe it was a hundred million. No, I I'm not going to say that again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just going to go with I can't remember. Yeah. at least five. At least. Oh, yeah. definitely five. Less than, or, or I should say, greater than or equal to five. Yeah. yeah. If only there was a website that would tell us all the stuff we want to know. If we just ask it, that would yeah. be cool. So when you should invent that. Anytime that me and Anna, me and my wife are having one of these conversations, she just hollers at Alexa to ask for the answer, and I'm like, I just like yeah, talking Alexa, about it. Alexa's not, getting good. I know. You're such a boomer. <laughs> I, I just want to talk about it. I don't want to actually look it up. Yeah, I know. I'm a boomer. Um, all right, man. Have anything else with that? That's all I got. We, all right. we got them updated short, on the short new and sweet. thing. Yeah, I like it. AJ, we miss anything? Propofol confirmed. Blue-green urea. There it is. Blue-green. Do we have anything for yellow? Water. Fin- well, that would be well, clear, maybe, hopefully. Depends on how much yeah. water you're drinking. Not enough dehydrate. water. Well, I will say, I know we've talked... Fin has a like an orangish yellow. Yes. I know we've talked about the... Um, the uh asparagus before mm. we won't get into that now yeah. but that smells good does it, i've never asked you though aj does it make your pee stink it does okay well stink it's there's an aroma it turns out that it makes everybody's pee stink only, only certain people can smell it that's what? the deal we talked about this on the podcast i feel like we have but it's so disgusting our I listeners are thinking mike how do you not remember he this? just admitted that he can't smell it that's what it is it doesn't make no, your... i definitely can't unfortunately but uh, it's why I don't eat asparagus. It's disgusting. <laughs> I like asparagus. Do you? Yeah. Nah, I can't deal with it. Um, some people estimate uh, death ranges is, is possibly as high as 100 million. 
Um, okay, so it was 100. So the second deadliest pandemic. So what could I have possibly I, said that was too I, high? I, think I didn't say 1,000 million. Maybe you did. I didn't. That's a billion. Pretty sure. Sure is. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Maybe you said 400 million. I oh, know. you know what it was, though? Hmm. The swine flu. I was talking about... <laughs> I said the swine... You were talking about the swine instead of the yes, Spanish flu. I was talking about the swine flu. I said 100 million, and that I was meant to say... Spanish flu. That's okay. That makes sense. Yes. Well, you know, live and learn. That was episode three. So we've improved. Well, like <laughs> that's debatable. But we've <laughs> we've tried really hard to improve. A I little was bit. looking back on the YouTube videos from back then, and we look like children. I uh, dude, I still look incredibly young. That's what's so. <laughs> that's what's so crazy, right, AJ? People see me and AJ, and they go, "You guys are the same age, huh?" And I go, "Yep." Not once. Twenty-four. They've never said that. I say it to me all the time. <laughs> that you're just not around. In fact, they asked you, like, is that your older cousin or something? Go, the yeah. progression of your beard is pretty interesting. Is I didn't it? have one at the time, but like yours was really long like when we first started did, the podcast. Yeah. And it just, you know, long, short, long, short. Yeah, it changes with the weather. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, now that we are so far off topic, it's not even funny. Um, anything else before we wrap it up? That's all I got. All right, you guys. Well, I'm sorry about the last three minutes of just utter nonsense, but you know, it is what it is. Um, you guys know what you get when you listen to us. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for, you know, sticking with us and, and taking out the podcast still. We're slowly approaching episode 200. Um, so we really, really appreciate the, the support from everybody. Uh, if, if you have any questions for any of us, you know, reach us on uh, our emails in the show notes below. You can reach us on any of the social media platforms. Um, you can also send us a, a text directly, um, which the, uh, the number will be in the show notes because um, <laughs> I have to update the app and I don't have it in front of me right now. So that's great. Um, also, if you want more traditional lectures without as many like, you know, uh, where we go off in these, you know, <laughs> rabbit trails and whatnot um, and actually stay on task and sounds a little bit more traditional lecture style. Um, Patreon, that might be more your jam. Patreon.com slash core consult RX. Uh, and there's tons and tons and tons of PowerPoint slides, lectures, um, pharmacotherapy practice questions, all kinds of stuff. So check that out. Um, that helps us keep the show rolling as far as the, uh, the, the proceeds from that. And uh, thank you again to Pearls as always. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. See you. Have a good night. Bye.